Welcome to the final segment in our series on leaders, leadership systems, and the impact on culture. I'm Kelly Kierens, president of Celtic QA Solutions. Today, we will wrap up the conversation with Walt Carter, Pat Rombaletti, and John Vineyard by discussing how to use a leadership system. A leadership system clearly sets the expectations of leaders as they lead. And I have, I've seen a lot of organizations that in the onboarding process, the CEO will brief a leadership system to every employee because you may not be a leader, but someone who you report to is. So what are your expectations of them? You know, it's going to help the organization screen, interview, hire leaders, evaluate leaders, promote leaders, uh, develop current and um, critically future leaders. Uh, I had one client that was developing a very participative um, culture and he promoted an autocratic man in the factory, very autocratic. And I was sitting at lunch with the CEO and he, the gentleman he promoted walked by and David said to me, he says, John, I think I made a mistake. I said, David, I'm just a dumb outsider. I'm not here much, but I know you made a mistake <laughs> because his actions didn't follow the culture he was trying to promote. Uh, it establishes proven, continuously uh, evolving approach to leadership. Once a year, organizations go back and say, are we missing something here? You know, does, does this really reflect what we do? The thing I like about the leadership system, a documented leadership system, more than anything else, is it allows the wisdom in your senior leaders to be transmitted all the way through the organization. And it also provides a role model for other processes. You know, if I can lead with a process, I can do anything with a process. Yes, that's the point. Pat, I see you. I see you nodding. Yeah, well, I think a, 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 how you activate or the system, it, it, when it's done right, it gives everybody in the organization a framework from which to push back. Mm-hmm. Um, without that, you know, this person operates this way, this person operates this way, and you're sitting there saying, well, my leader leads this way, and then, well, mine doesn't, it does this. Now you've got this, wait a minute, there's, we know there's something wrong. We have a standard, we have a system, you're operating under one system, I'm operating in another in the same organization. We now know that we need to speak up, there's something wrong here, right? Without that, it's sort of he said, she said, it's one, one opinion over here and it's, and it's attributed to, well, they just have different styles. Styles and leadership systems are not the same thing. You can have a different style, but the system is the system and the way that you treat each other, the way that you lead is the way that you lead. Again, maybe an extrovert leads differently than an introvert, but that's different. That's a style difference, not the principles difference, right? Um, and I think that's what it affords an organization, a, an, um, a consistent way to evaluate whether you have a leader that is truly leading consistent with what the company wants. Pat, I've never heard anybody describe the style versus the system as, as clearly as you just did. I think that's really a wonderful uh, distinction because all of us have our own style. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if I'm failing on the leadership system, if I'm if the people that, that work with me are not clear on the direction because I haven't been very clear in setting our direction, how am I going to get better? Mm-hmm. If we can evaluate me and say, well, John, you know, you're not 
you know, you're not as good as you can be on setting direction. Pat's really good at it. Why don't you work with her a couple of months? You know, meet with her an hour a week for a couple of months. And because Pat's people are really clear on what their direction are. I have a, I have a conversation I could have never had any other way. That's right. That's so right. I, I would like to say that, that I think the ultimate value of, you know, a well-run leadership system uh, is in the things that Pat just called out about the ability to push back. Uh, and, and frankly, it's, it's to create safety. Uh, ultimately, it creates safety for people to be able to share what they know. And, and again, the further down the food chain they go, the closer they are to the real problems a lot of times. And if you want to get the collective of wisdom of a whole organization and not just the senior leaders, you really have to create this safety. Uh, and, and then once you have the safety and you have the protocols for how we, we actually share information that may be contrary to, you know, what's, what, what's desired, right, or expected, uh, then, then you also get to this next level of, you know, operational excellence, which, which is rare, uh, right, which is where, you know, we can, we can agree to disagree, still work together, right, and, and we've got confidence in the referees. We've got confidence that this has been adjudicated properly at the next level up. And, and so consequently, we can just keep running together. We can keep working together. And I, I keep thinking about the, you know, my experiences on the football field, right? I, I, I towed up against my defense on my team all during practice, all week long. But on Saturday, on game day, that defense was my guys, right? They were my guys. I was pulling for them. I wasn't working against them on the field. I was working against that other team's defense now, right? And so – we, we would all come together as one team. We would strive to get the best performance we could during practice, but then on game day, it had to show up for all of us against the other team. And, and so when you think about it that way, you start to get this, this other thing, which I think is really, really key beyond the safety, is the clarity. So exactly what are we trying to do here? And, and, and I think, you know, you guys both mentioned it earlier, which is, and who are we trying to do it for, right? What, what's our code? And how, the how is important too. Really, I agree. I agree. And and you know, I use these words ethos, pathos, and logos all the time, not not in the way that that the the rhetoric guys used to use them, but in terms of you know that that how is who are we today, and how are we going to be at the end of this? Are we going to violate our principles and values in order to accomplish our goals, or are we going to hold the line there? And, you know, so that's, a, that's an ethical choice. That's an ethos-driven choice set. Then you, you set off on the journey, and, and the journey leads to pathology, usually, right? We learn from the path. <coughs> and when we're learning from the path, we, we start to learn things that are good and bad, right? So it's not just the, the, the stuff that's, that's ugly that, that is truly negative, right? There's also stuff that we want to learn that we want to keep forever. And, and, you know, and that's where the truth is or what we call the logos, right? This is stuff we write down because it's true and it's valuable. And so I don't, I don't remember everything on the path, but I'm going to, I'm going to make some notes on this because this could help me in the future. And this in, in my world is where we get to repeatability, traceability, <coughs> excuse me, and consistency. You know, I, 
I think something that you said, I mean, I use the word, but I, it really boils down because again, I'm thinking of clients that I'm coaching um, where there's things that are clearly disconnected, right? And wrong. And it's not safe in that environment to speak up the way that they should and, and, and would want to. It's not safe. And that's always a clue to me that, that a, a strong culture, everyone is safe to have an opinion. And in a weak culture, only certain people get to have an opinion, right? And, and man, I see that all the time with my clients. And I was, I was senior executive in charge of manufacturing for a company. And I'd been there a few months and we were in some kind of performance review. One of the divisions was coming in. And I was asking a lot of questions because I was learning about what the division was doing. And it was very helpful to me. And we took a quick break and we're walking to the coffee room and somebody says to me, why are you coming down on them so hard? And I looked at him and I says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I, no, I'm not, I'm just trying to learn. But in that culture, you don't ask questions. No questioning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, high performing companies are tough on themselves. I mean, if you, if you look at two companies and one doesn't have any problems and one has lots and lots of problems, I will guarantee you who's high performing. Mm -hmm. My client that won Baldridge this week, I can guarantee you they are really tough on themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. High performing companies are very tough on themselves. Their goals next year will be tougher than the goals were this year. Mm -hmm. We've already talked to the CEO about it. And, and yet companies, uh, I've seen companies that, that think there aren't any problems. You know, it's not culturally acceptable to talk about what our real problems are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a client in India, 40, again, a 40,000 person company and the CEO went out to a, to a social event and some guy just reamed him and he came back and he told us about it and everyone in the room was horrified and I'll never forget Ravi said, no, you don't understand. We owe him a deep gratitude. Mm-hmm. What he told us is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that toleration of, of the bad behaviors, you know, leads to a whole lot of other bad things. And, and that failure to confront, even, even in, you know, organizations that, that, you know, pride themselves on high performance and, and accountability, it, it ripples so fast because people go up, oh, yeah, they're tolerating that guy because he's a producer or that gal because she really gets it done all the time. She always makes her numbers and everybody knows she can be a B and, and, and we just have to put up with that. Right. And, and, you know, and, and a lot of companies fall into that trap <clears throat> and it is a trap though, because whatever you tolerate, you get more of. And, and if you want that kind of, you know, aspect in your culture, just tolerate it a little bit and it'll happen. Right. Versus taking the, the, the nice lady aside and saying, Hey, look, you know, you really can't talk to people that we value the way you're talking to them you have to, you know, express this in a different way, right? And we've got you a coach named Pat that's going to come in and help you with this, uh, right? You know, and so when when you tolerate it and, and you don't confront it, it just, it, it starts to ripple and, it, and, and that ripple becomes a strong current and white water before you know it. Yeah. And that's where I think, I think a lot of organizations fail to understand the whole culture thing uh, in the context of what are we trying to do here? 
Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, a, that's a fundamental failure that I've seen over and over again. Uh, but I've also seen the opposite. And I've been part of an organization where we really did have the ability to safely and professionally duke it out and get to the best idea with the most merit fast and then run together to implement that thing. And, uh, and within two years of being part of that group, we won every single award for operational excellence that was possible. And we did amazing things that everybody was coming to us going, how did you guys do that? And it was because we had a leader that implemented a safety zone for us. And he was a very effective and very hands-on referee. And so if we were getting a little bit too hot when we were confronting each other, which happened, uh, because if you're passionate, that happens, right? It comes out. Um, And that guy's name was John, and he's one of the greatest leaders I've ever had the pleasure of working for. And he did a remarkable job of cooling us down and making sure that we stayed focused on the ideas and the merits and not the personalities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you get that kind of leader in place, you get that kind of operational excellence. And, you know, and, and I think too, this, this notion, especially in the Baldridge world, John, it's all about getting to repeatability, traceability, consistency, and a continuous learning organization, right? And, and you can't do that if you don't have these kind of systems and structures, you know, right at the heart of the organization and literally the heart, not the mind, the heart. Yeah. You know, I got to interject here. I, something you said just struck me. I, years, decades ago, when I was one of several regional sales leaders, um, there was a very weak culture. There was no leadership from the top. It was, it was just helter skelter. And um, it was a real challenge because in my leadership, in my team, the rule was you don't cheat. We're going to, we're going to make our number the right way. We're not going to steal revenue. We're not going to do things that were being done. That's not what we do in this organization. Um, and was such a tough job as a leader to make that stand because one region over, somebody was tiptoeing into our region and stealing revenue and taking money out of the pocket of my people. And I just had to say the, the, the leadership principles by which we operate are this for our region. And I don't care what they do. I get what it's going to cost all of us. If it costs you money, it costs me money, right? Um, and I, I think back, I, I just have reconnected with some of the people with someone in that team passed away and we were all kind of reconnecting and reflecting on that, that how hard it was to stand your ground. And there's where leadership system did not exist. And it was horrific. Um, and we just, I, I just took the high road, but it was not an easy stand to take without a system to, to, have everybody right. help. I think that's a great point, Pat, because the leadership system is there to support you yeah. in that leadership role to right. make that determination and that ethical stand. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you've got to have, and this is why, you know, Dr. Deming always made sure he had the CEO walk him around yeah. uh, as, as you mentioned earlier, right. You know, Deming wouldn't come on site unless he was sponsored by the CEO. Right. And, uh, and then there was a lot of power, in understanding the psychology of that, right? I've got to have a leadership system that's supported all the way up and down the organization so that when Pat makes that stance, she's got a firm, safe place to make it from. Yeah, I made it with guns in my in my ribs, <laughs> literally, so. I'd like to tie together some things Pat and Walt both said. Walt, you mentioned 
you know, if you if you support the person that makes their goals and they don't, you know, they don't embrace your culture. When Larry Bossidy took over Allied Signal, came out of uh, GE, he went to every Allied Signal facility and he drew a little two by two matrix. Uh, on the top were goals, yes, no, you either make your goals or you don't. On the left uh, axis was culture, you embrace our culture or you don't. And he said, if you don't make your goals and you don't embrace our culture, I would like you out of this organization before I finish my little talk today. <laughs> awesome. You know, when the corporate CEO is telling you that, we got your attention. He said, if you don't make your goals, but you do embrace our culture, we can help you. We can coach you. We can get you there. But you have to make your goals. But we can help you. But the person we can't tolerate is the person that makes their goals that don't embrace our culture. Because if we tolerate them, we don't have a culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because I want to just say this, and I know we're running out of time, but all organizations are made up of humans, people, individuals, right? And and there aren't any of them that I know of that step into their jobs on day one and are, you know, capable of bowling the equivalent of a 300. Mm-hmm. They just don't. You gotta, you gotta have a learning ramp for every new job. You gotta have a, a learning ramp for every new company that you go to work for. <clears throat> and so, the expectation that you're going to meet your goals right out of the gate is a flawed one for most people. And, uh, and so you got to deal with, you know, the human need to, to come up the learning curve and, and ramp up. And so you, you deal with that in a couple of ways. You can either, you know, reduce the size of the goals and objectives so that they can easily meet them, or you can, you can, you can try to work out some other kind of a, of a compensation plan that's not necessarily tied to that so much. What, what concerns me is that we don't have that expectation of we are working with humans here, right? We, we almost treat our objectives and key results as, as if we're working with machines, um, right? And, uh, you know, and, and so I, I feel like there's some there's some real challenges in, in understanding organizational dynamics when it revolves around human, humans dynamics, human psychologists and human, human needs. Yeah, I, I think that goes back to, you know, and I was saying earlier about the, the person who can, can let one thing go because their, their core value is, is, taking, is caring, right? Um, I think that that part of the core value of a culture has to be that respect and caring and empathy for the uh, members. And I've seen so much written about this. We're doing this podcast in the uh, midst of COVID-19 where people are working from home and craziness abounds and children come home from school when they weren't supposed to and on and on and on and on and on. And the cultures that are failing, the cultures that are disconnected where they're saying we're not meeting our goals, they're not meeting your goals because there's no empathy inside and it's it's 10 o'clock. I don't care if it's 10 o'clock. You need to get that done. I don't care what your day has been like or that your mother just called you because she and her, your dad have COVID. None of that matters. This is what's going on. There are still leaders leading like that. And that's that. there isn't something at the top that says it's not always about that agenda that you had. There's, got, there's a human with human, human uh, a life outside of this job. And those companies that are excelling, that they're doing all the studies on, are the ones with the most empathetic leadership. And that mm-hmm. empathetic leadership comes from the top that says, you have my permission to cut your people some slack. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, this has been a fantastic conversation and I appreciate Walt, everything that you've brought to the conversation. Pat, this has been wonderful. Um, John, thank you so much for um, moderating today's series and thank you all for joining us at the Higher Gear CIO podcast series on leaders, leadership systems and the impact on culture. Uh, we look forward to having you join us for our next podcast series.